Okay, we are live. Hi, this is William Ramsey. Welcome to William Ramsey Investigates. On today's show, I have a very special guest. He just published a book in 2023, and the title is Enigmatic North America, Legends, Oddities, and Controversial History. His name is William Brown, and he the Kindle came out in kind of summer, and then the paperback is out just uh, within the last two or three weeks. And it's really a great book. It's really well laid out, and there's a lot of questions. Like, the United States is much more or the North America is much more interesting. The history is very much more interesting than people might realize. There's a lot of different things going on. And I think this book shows that. And he's traveled around for the last three years, taking picture and visiting these sites firsthand. So it's definitely a worthwhile venture to get this book and take a look at it because there are some open questions, some parts of history that may not uh, you may not find in your high school or college textbooks. But William Brown could talk more about that. So William Brown, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me, William. I appreciate it. And uh, yeah, so this summer, I actually released a paperback and a Kindle at the same time. They used to be linked at the on, on the same page on Amazon. And uh, what I did was that paperback with all those photos, I originally went with premium color and like premium pages, and it was a little expensive. So what I've done is I've made that down to standard color, and that's why it appears that it was just recently published. But that was actually a republication. So yeah. Okay, my mistake. No, it's okay. It's all right. Just giving you a little background on that. I did that just to make it more affordable. It was gotcha. kind of, uh, it was, it was kind of, you know, um, hard to keep that price down with the premium color. But yeah, thanks for having me on. Um, Maybe the background is like, talk about your background, how you got interested in this kind of alternate history or kind of unfocused on history. I've covered it with other shows. We've talked about giants that are in the U.S. and the Smithsonian covered up. So I've kind of covered some of the topics you cover in your book. But yeah. maybe you could just talk about your interest and and your research that led up to this book, Enigmatic North America. Well, I've all I've always been a big history guy. I've taught history, teach economics, history, government. Um, ever since that's what I went to college for was to be a teacher, and I always liked a good story too. And you know, to me, history it's it's hard to nail down the facts about anything past a hundred years ago, right? it's a he said she said after a while or interpretation of primary sources so for me i was always willing to hear any story even if i didn't necessarily believe it i'm a big proponent in uh free speech allowing everyone to give their own perspective on it sometimes i get pushed back saying why are you even putting this stuff out there if you don't necessarily believe it and to me it's just there's nothing wrong with being completely agnostic on a topic and saying i don't know Let's try to figure out why people even believe it in the first place. Let's try to figure out why people don't believe it. And so throughout this book and my YouTube series that I'm, I'm really, I like to make videos is why I got into this. And I just happened to also make a book. Really what I, I try to do is I try to just tell the story of the legend, the story of the oddities, the story of the controversy. Not next. I'm not necessarily proposing anything. There are a few chapters where I, kind of convince myself that um, whatever the controversial history is, is the case. We can talk about some of those and my bias does slip through on occasion, uh, but I really try to fence it and just tell both sides of the story and make it fun. I like to take photographs. So there's a lot of photographs. I think there's over 240 photographs in this book that I've either taken myself or were public domain. And yeah, really I'm, I love to travel. That's how I got into this. I love to travel spend my summers going around the American Southwest 
I've done many Mississippi mound builder trips. And then just this last summer, I drove my car from Kansas to Oaxaca, Mexico, which is down like all the way down there near Chiapas and Guatemala. Did a whole road trip throughout there, seeing as many sites as I could. So I just wanted to start documenting this. And it's really a creative outlet for me. I like to tell the stories. I like to investigate the stories. And I really like the like intrepid traveling as well. So that's kind of how I got started. Uh, I guess really more specifically was COVID happened, right? And um, they had the lockdowns and I got a little, you know, they told me two weeks and to stop the spread. And I, the two weeks was up and I said, nah, I'm going to go. And so I bought a drone with my STEMI check, bought some, uh, <laughs> About Bitcoin, a little bit of Bitcoin and the rest of it with a drone with my STEMI check. And I went and hit the American Southwest, you know, which I thought was a pretty good place to be during a pandemic. I was just car camping out in the desert, um, flying my drone at, on BLM land. There's all kinds of archaeological sites where it's legal to fly a drone. You're not breaking any laws by doing so. And, uh, you know, petroglyphs out there that almost no one's seen. I just found myself walking like eight. 10, 12 miles a day through these canyons, just looking for stuff, finding it, not even knowing it was there a lot of the times, realized I had a whole bunch of content after my Mississippi um, Mound Builders trip, started looking into a lot of the stories I'm hearing along the way as I'm talking to locals, I'm talking to people in the area that are telling me about different things and um, put together a little YouTube channel called Incredible History. I just, I don't know why I picked the name Incredible History. I just ran with it and um and here we are i have uh, over 80 videos out now some of them short form some of them long form and each chapter in this book here is going to be hopefully by the end of january or february an episode on my youtube channel i think i'm on chapter 10 right now on my youtube channel this next week i'll be releasing chapter 10 as an episode so so you're doing the episodic follow of the book on your youtube channel right correct incredible history correct so if you don't want to buy the book, if you can't afford the book, no worries. Go go binge watch that YouTube channel. I got a little playlist that's just called Enigmatic North America that has all those in a row there. Episode 1 through 9 at the moment and 1 through 23 by the end of um, February probably. No. Right. So you're not just doing the Southwest or America. It also includes – your information includes what you're – what you found in Mexico too, right? Your yeah, I'd say half the book is Mexico and then a little bit of Guatemala. My most epic journey was down to Piedras Negras, Guatemala, which is the site that if you're, I don't know if you were, um, your listeners are familiar with Edgar Casey. Yes, um, maybe. Uh, Edgar Casey, uh, you know, is called America's Sleeping Prophet. He's really the known as the best psychic if you believe it for those who believe in psychic powers he's considered the best psychic in modern times and uh he had these really interesting readings he used to do health readings but somebody along the line started asking him questions about ancient uh, america the maya and then eventually even the legends of atlantis and there's a whole rabbit hole on his readings on as to that points to refugees from atlantis the cataclysm atlantis eventually finding them their way down in the yucatan or piedras negras guatemala and i went down there just for fun to film this little documentary it's my most watched video it's called refugees from atlantis 
it got over 200,000 views just recently. I, I don't oh, know. Wow. I don't know why it popped off recently. I, I published it like a year and a half ago and it got up to like 15,000 views. I was like, oh, cool. That's awesome. And then in September just went boom. Uh, it has like 202,000 views right now. And um, that open this opening scene right here, this was fun. Uh, maybe I could just take you through this. Yeah, this, please do. This is a drone shot uh, at the assuming, assuming the scene to river. That's Mexico on the left side. On the right side is Guatemala right there. Oh, wow. wow. So you're and, right on the border. Huh? Yeah, it's right on the border. Yaxalan would be the most famous site that's nearby. Uh, it's probably a two-hour boat ride up or down, you know, sorry, up river on the Mexican side of the border. But yeah, this is Piedras Negras, Guatemala. This is going to be a shot right here of the Acropolis, which is the largest structure um, at Piedras Negras. This is basically, it has been excavated, but it's not fully. I mean, you can't fully excavate a place like this. So it's it's even, huge, right? Like there's huge things under the forest of gigantic. Guatemala still. Yeah, yeah. Here it is right here. Um, so I got to climb to, this is just like the first level. It just keeps going. It's a whole temple complex. And um, let me show you this next part because this part was really fun. This is like I love intrepid travel, but this was actually really dangerous. What happens here? It'll it'll go, go go back to, go back sure. to, uh, keep going. Go back to right where it was basically, where it was before you stopped. Okay, so I, I shouldn't have even moved it. Yeah. Okay. Here, stay right there. Stay right there. So here's this is the opening scene of this. Um, there were these rapids that we just mistimed. And you're going to see how much water we take on board right here. The driver was very nervous. Okay, so here's the original. And then it's never good when you're driving oh. nervous, more nervous than you. Yeah, we we pulled over and just started taking buckets of water out of the boat, trying to make sure it wasn't going to sink. And then a couple moments later, you'll see what we saw on the side of the, the bank here. We at least started making our way down river, but you'll see this in just a second. And sorry for the dead air, folks, but you're about to see a crocodile on the side of the river right here. Oh wow! Yeah, it'll. Those are the dangerous ones, right? Those. Yeah, are these dangerous. are actual crocodiles. These are American yeah, wow. crocodiles right here. Wow. There it is. It's a big one. And um, yeah, that was wild. So there's a lot of this fun. It was Indiana was, Jones, man. You were like in an Indiana Jones territory. <laughs> I don't know about that, but it was fun. It was a lot of fun. It was one of the best experiences I've ever had. And, you know, whether or not you believe in the Edgar Casey story, I'm not sure what I believe about it, to be honest with you. But it was a lot of fun for me. And um, there's a lot of people that really, really get into that. I mean, they have a whole rabbit hole about the Lost Hall of Records being at Egypt under the Sphinx. Bimini Island under the water and Piedras Negras, Guatemala, um, here in the Yucatan. And this used to be, this is technically the Yucatan. Uh, it used to be considered so. So, yeah, this is well, my, that's crazy. So, did Casey say that uh, was he part of the Lost Tribes view of uh, he kind of the foundation, kind of like the Mormons, right? The Mormons, yeah, he had did. some Lost Tribe element. He did. He did tell a story. I don't know if he necessarily called them the lost tribes but he called them he, he basically is describing the, the migrating tribes from israel and how they ended up becoming 
basically integrating with the cultures here in the Americas, uh, whether it was the mound builder cultures or the Toltec or who it was, I can't exactly remember, but 100%, a lot of actually um, Mormons that are, I know personally are pretty into the KC readings. Um, interesting. Because there's, there is some interesting, uh, in fact, here's, here's something for you. BYU is who excavated this site. Brigham Young University wow. or and Pennsylvania. So the first one was Pennsylvania, but BYU came back in the fifties. I want to say maybe sixties and excavated Piedras Negras. Yep. There it is on the Sumanita river. This is the most remote Mayan ruin you could possibly go to. It took a Frontera Corzal is just down below. Frontera, right there. Yeah. It took, I took a, for me, it was a seven and a half hour round trip boat ride. Cause we got in that dodgy situation with the rapids. It's probably about five hours normally. Um, I had to hire those drivers to do that. They're all indigenous too, indigenous yeah, Indian guys or whatever. Yeah, they them. speak Mayan Chol, uh, wow. which is a very a distinct um, dialect in the Mayan language. Um, and it was just incredible. It, it, one of the best story, uh, you know, best travel stories I've ever had in my life, for sure. But yes, Edgar Case. Have you ever been to Merida? If you're ever in that area, Merida is amazing. Yes, That's I have like... been to Merida six years ago. It's been six years since I've been, but I really enjoyed it. And I actually did pass through two years ago on a little road trip, but I didn't, I didn't stop. Yeah, that whole area in the Yucatan, you know, now that they got LIDAR, which is right. the ground penetrating radar that you can use with these drones, they're finding all kinds of stuff out there. They used to think that the largest pier, I just found this out the other day. I used to always say the largest pyramid in the world by volume was in Cholula, Mexico. It's this gigantic pyramid not too far from Mexico city and by volume, technically it was apparently they just found one in uh, Guatemala. That's bigger. Um, wow. Wow. And by volume, you know, so, so there's these huge ancient civilizations. Cause I read Bernal Diaz's conquest of new Spain and yeah. he was talking to Moctezuma and he says, yeah, there's a whole new ancient civilization that we don't even know about up there. That's yeah. from the 15th century. Right. And that's huge. The temple of the sun. I think you have it in your book. Like it's, yeah super impressive like it's amazing so you the yeah northern america is crazy you talk about the mound builders and mississippi like there's complexes all over the place a lot of them were destroyed which is really a shame but and a lot of them are very similar to the mayan layouts believe it or not they're just made out of different material right they didn't have uh limestone uh, up there in the in the mound builder areas and part of casey's readings is he says that the mayans migrated or a section a part of the mayans migrated north and became the mound builders i mean it's a whole it's a whole oh, wow. i am not subscribed to that belief because i don't i can't just say that that's true based on a psychic saying that right but there is a whole rabbit hole to go down there cahokia and illinois and a whole bunch of the right. other cahokia. you have some very similar plazas to uh some of the uh, mayan sites down there now this gets us to like the whole, and this is a big theme in the book, diffusion versus isolationism, right? You know, is are things happening because they're being passed down through travel, through trade, or is this just human nature? They built this because that's just what humans do, right? Do things happen in isolation or do they happen, happen with diffusion? The answer is probably both. Um, but yeah. Right, because we're taught in school, right, that, Nobody came to the new world that, you know, it was a land bridge and they're isolated. And then something happened. The Europeans found the new world in the 15th century. 
yeah. according to kind of the stuff you look at, there's much uh, the old time kind of travelers are much more clever. Oh, for sure. And then that if you want to even go further down that rabbit hole, my my second most watched video is the they call it the cover up at Huayatlaco in Mexico. Um, and that one, the, you know, for the longest time, they were saying 15,000 years is when people came to the Americas. And that would be Homo sapiens. And they've never, they've always said Neanderthals or any other type of hominid were never in the Americas. I don't know if that's necessarily true. Um, Weyotlaco is a site in Mexico where they found stone artifacts. No one doubts that they were artifacts. They were definitely artifacts. These were discovered by archaeologists that were working with the U.S. Geological Survey. They knew what they were doing. And when they dated that layer of ash, this is back in the 60s with. Uh, they first did carbon dating, which gets maxed out at like 60,000 years or whatever. But then fission track and uranium series came and they were finding minimum ages of 250,000 years in that ash. Some people say, oh, an animal can dig through layers. There's ways that those artifacts could have got there. Um, but a lot of these geologists um, in this book I read called The First Americans really pushed back on that and say the geology was solid. The archaeology was solid. And this is what we found. Whole thing got, I call it a cover up because it was a cover up. It's a proven cover up. Men with guns from the Museum of oh, wow. Mexico showed up, banned excavation from the site, confiscated the artifacts. The artifacts are gone. No one knows where they're at. Wow. Luckily, there's casts of them. And the whole thing got memory hold. And so that one right there, and nearby are some supposed, I don't know if they are or not. I went and found them, I went and did some internet sleuthing to go find them, some supposed footprints. Uh, in a layer that is over 1 million years old. Um, and so this is... How, the, how does how does it, can that be explicable? Like what, that's like a completely different world of human history and like yes. just regular history. Yeah, so, this, this would be like a, if this was the case, this wouldn't be a homo sapien. This would be like a Neanderthal or, so I don't even know, 1 million years, to be honest with you, I'm not sure what that would be. Um but sorry, go ahead. I didn't mean to interrupt. Well, no, no, but it just, I mean, I'm not arguing with you. It just like the, the current understanding and there's so much writing on these things, academic credibility, all this and, other stuff where the, these cover-ups really do happen. Cause I've studied sorry, the Kennewick man. Sorry and, to interrupt you. Yeah, it's actually South of Puebla, Valladolid uh, Lake, that little Lake South of Puebla is where oh, right here. Is, yeah, exactly. Yep. Sorry. Go ahead. Well, I was just saying that there's a lot of things like even the modern indigenous people wanted to cover up Kennewick man because he had more European looking features. I'm not even saying he's European. It's just that it didn't fit into this concept like well, this is our land and we've had it for generations going back to time immemorial. Right. Yeah. And I, so, I'm not as familiar with Kennewick man. Maybe you could tell me a little bit about it. It was a it was a man was found on a riverbank. They thought they found a dead body. And it was called in the area kind of off of the Columbia River, if my memory serves me correct. And they gave him the name Kennewick Man, and somebody took his body and studied it. So this is Kennewick right here. Um, so he got the name Kennewick. They thought it was current, but it wasn't. And they had timed, I guess he had had, the body had had like an arrow or head and stuck in it so they could time Whoa. and date it. But they, they pulled his, let me see if I can pull a picture up. He didn't didn't quite look like the current the local indigenous people, so they like covered it up, and people were angry, and uh, it just caused this huge hub hubbub. Carbon date radio test eight thousand years ago. Whoa! 
Yeah. So they, yeah, but the picture of it, like they did, they did like a, somebody did like a look. See, that's what he looked like. So he kind of almost looked like an Anu person or something like that, you know? Right. So right. The, origi the original things were different. There you see this. This is what blew people away is that he kind of almost looked like a character out of Lord of the Rings or something, but yeah. he didn't look like the local indigenous. So there's a huge battle. Like it, 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 it contradicted a lot of kind of what other people were thinking like at the time. So that's just another, that could be another addition to your, to your next edition of the book. But uh, yeah. And another example of something that was really old was a uh, Calico, California, not too far where you're from out in the desert. Um, that's, you know, that's a big controversial site. They were finding artifacts that they think were around hundred thousand years old. There's some, dispute on that there's reasons why they could have been in the layers that they were in but when I, I actually went out there i didn't include this in the book i probably should have but um so it's I the have, one by barstow calico yeah i think so near barstow it's out in the desert yeah, and that's um, definitely desert. there's yeah there's an old abandoned site out there that even they even had a sign that talks about prehistoric man out in um, oh, California, wow. but there were some interesting dates that came out of there near San Diego recently. There have, I can't, I wish I knew the guy's name so I could cite him, but you could look this up. They have found crushed bones of animals in a way that clearly someone was trying to extract the morrow. And that was found in a layer that was over 100,000 years old. Um, wow. So, you know, it, there's, Something else. There's human history is a lot different than people might really kind of you know think. There's all they're finding so much stuff these days. There's like this weird site in the middle of uh, nowhere that nobody can really explain. You ever heard of this? This isn't. This is kind of off the trail, but it's in Micronesia. And it's literally like some freaking crack. I don't know if I can find it off the top of my head, but like they have almost like a temple structure, like a pyramidal structure. Wow. Yeah, that's where they found the the um, Homo floriensis as well. I might be pronouncing that wrong, but the little Hobbit people. Um, oh wow! Yeah, the like you know you always heard these legends and lore about little people, and well, they actually did find uh, one that lived among Homo sapiens. I mean, this would have been, I think it was, I think they died out within the last 100,000 years, you know, homo sapiens were definitely still alive. I can't remember where that was at, but it's somewhere down there in Malaysia or somewhere in that area. Wow. Yeah. There's there. Yeah. I mean, don't you think those myths, a lot of those myths maybe were like kept alive oral history elves and, you know, different kind of racial classes. I mean, they're still kind of around today in different, different uh, iterations, I suppose. But yeah, yeah, it's all based on like the perspective they had then. Like, you know, we watched Lord of the Rings and like think of it as fantasy, but like, like to them, maybe that is how they saw the world. Actually, you know, and I'm not saying I know Lord of the Rings was uh, obviously written by was it C.S. Lewis? Uh, Tolkien. 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 Friends with C.S. Lewis. Yeah, Tolkien. Yeah. yeah. And the uh, Green Dragon, right? They worked right. it out at the Green Dragon or. But just some of these myths and legends, you know, that are really interesting. Um, it maybe really was their literal perspective, right? Their ethos that they had. So it's it's interesting. Yeah, maybe that's why it resonates with people. Like it's it seems more, you know, I don't know. It's like something out of myth. Like they took it all from European, like old myths and the sagas and all that stuff. 
<clears throat> um, yeah, so you've been through Mexico. You've been through, like, you've seen the Temple of the Sun, too, outside of Mexico City, too, right? Yeah, I, uh, I went over it on a hot air balloon, actually. Oh, nice. Um, yeah, the photos in my book are photos I, I took from the hot air balloon at sunrise in the morning. Temple of the wow. Sun. And then also, I was very lucky, Pyramid of the Moon. Uh, this, I had the perfect hot air balloon ride. Basically, you know, with hot air balloons, you just are at the mercy of the wind that day. And this thing basically took us right over the temp the Pyramid of the Sun. Is that where you're talking about the Pyramid of the Sun at um, Tewatewakan? Yeah, I think so, yeah. And then it kind of circled us back and took us right over the moon, which is was really special. It was an incredible treat. So the I, plaza has the huge temple at one end and then at the other end, is that the temple of the moon? Yeah. They're both two giant pyramids, yeah, right, like right, two right. of the biggest in Mexico. Is that what you're talking about? Tewa, Tewa, so. Yeah. 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 yeah it was that was the one before the Aztecs. That was like about, yeah, correct. The Aztec, you know, it felt it was a sacred place because it was just this abandoned, rubble basically but they knew something was there so yeah and so i mean there's all this hieroglyphics that can't be explained that throughout the u.s that can't really be explained that they were done by europeans like something else was going on right like, um with like what what's, what's i mean you would like you to petroglyphs and like there's drawings of african animals yeah and they've, disco they've discovered like i think they went through and did testing on some of these sarcophaguses in Egypt, and they had plants, like cocaine or something, that only could come from the New World. Yeah, right? the cocaine mummies. The uh, yeah. skeptics on that say that 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 those mummies were tainted in the early 19th century, or sorry, the early 20th century, and because cocaine and tobacco were used as preservatives. I don't know about that. To me, that's like more of a stretch than they just were able to go to the Americas and you know get obtain this stuff right somehow. Right, right. Um, some some form of trading, trading, yeah. Right, yeah. As for like different your petroglyphs, um, I'm pretty agnostic on that. I really try to just look at both sides of the story on this. Um, you know, ninety nine percent of the petroglyphs in North America are clearly done by native americans correct gotcha. every now and then you get these anom anomalous examples and a lot of people say they're hoaxes and they very well could be in many cases we can talk about a few that i think i don't know if i'd call them a hoax but they're just a misunderstanding and then the other thing is these were maybe old world travelers that got here before columbus a good example of that Let's do the hoax first, maybe. This might okay. upset people, but I don't even know if this well, wouldn't be the first time I upset by. Upset yeah, it's fine. It's yes. like you read a book about controversial history. You're gonna make like both sides mad. <laughs> like it doesn't matter. Talk about this. It's fun. Um, but but the that hiking to a very controversial petroglyph in New Mexico, that uh, video that's at the top middle, uh, right there. That is the Lost Lunas Decalogue Stone which has like a combination of like old Hebrew, some say Greek writing, some say Phoenician writing. You know, I'm not really too familiar with old world script. So I just kind of included all stories in the book. And this right here is it's, there's no question about it. It's definitely old world writing. It's just, the question is when was this created? And a lot of people say, Oh, that looks new. Well, to be fair, 
this was scrubbed and chalked soon after it was discovered. Hmm. Um, and you can kind of fast forward if you want to find where I'm like right up on it. But this was supposedly discovered in 1930 for the first time, like it reported. It had been known about supposedly since the 1800s. A guy named uh, Professor Frank Hibbins discovered it. Some people think that maybe he or one of his students did this as a prank. Uh, some people think that this is from the lost tribes of Israel. I have a theory that isn't necessarily my original theory. Um, I've seen this, you know, talked about a lot online before. But I like this one. Crypto-Spanish Jews during the 1600s were in New Mexico escaping the Inquisition in Spain. And I think it's possible, especially if you you hear about the 1800s, this being known about in the 1800s, I think it's very possible that someone who knew Hebrew or old Hebrew was there in the 1600s, 1700s during that Inquisition. The Inquisition lasted a long time, and there's an entire history of the crypto Spanish Jews. What that word means with crypto is they were practicing their faith in secret. They had to. The Inquisition. Right. They, were, they were forced to, to, I think it was Isabella and what was the other guy? They forced Ferdinand, like, uh, conversion. Yeah. I think Ferdinand. Ferdinand. So yeah. right around the time of Columbus, right? Yeah. And it lasted a long time. Like it, it didn't just go away after one generation. It lasted a very long time. And you were safer in the United States, but you still kept it on the down low for a long time if you were Jewish or basically not Catholic, right? In some of these areas that were controlled by Spain. Um, so yeah, me and my brother went out there and, and saw it and I thought I, I loved seeing it and I'm very open-minded. Um, but to me, I just feel like, I feel like this one just seemed a little too perfect. Right. Where the Bat Creek Stone is another example where you find uh, this Hebrew writing on a stone that was underneath, basically near a mound in Tennessee, if I remember right. And it said, for the Judeans, very simple. It wasn't elaborate. It said, for the Judeans. And the reason I think this one's more likely to be real, the Bat Creek Stone, is they originally thought it was Cherokee. No one proclaimed that this was Hebrew. It wasn't until like a hundred years later when everyone was dead, anyone involved was dead, that they turned it upside down and they're like, oh no, this is Hebrew. All they did was turn the artifact upside down and uh, realized it said for the Judeans in Hebrew. And no one disputes that it is Hebrew. The question is, when was it made? Right. There were two people that found in a Masonic reference book, very similar uh, writings that someone thinks that maybe someone copied uh, in the 1800s, but it's not exact. Um, there's like a word divider and, um, you know, some differences that are on the actual uh, artifact. And Scott Walter from America Unearthed, everybody's probably, maybe not everybody, but he's got a really famous show on the History Channel. Um, he's done an entire investigation on the Bat Creek Stone. He has a whole episode on that. Another one um, that I think is more likely to be real that a lot of people don't think is real is the Hebner runestone in Oklahoma, which is a Viking runestone. Um, and yeah, I think that's right there. That right over there. There. Yeah. So the, the most known runestone is 
the one out in Kensington up in Minnesota. And it's this elaborate runestone with this entire message. Um, to me, I, I've, there's an archaeologist named, I think, Dr. Jackson Crawford. And he points out that there are trouble with the pentatic numerals. Basically, they were trying to write in like Arab numeral form, but it should have been in pentatic numeral form. Like the number 14 wouldn't be one four it would be just 14 in pentatic numerals i don't know i'm not an expert on that but that made sense to me and so i'm just i'm kind of you know fence sitter on the kensington one up in minnesota but this one in oklahoma it's really simple a lot of people think it's fake because well how are the vikings getting all the way down to southeast oklahoma well i can tell you how they would do it they'd go up through the gulf of mexico uh, up the mississippi and through the Arkansas River, the Canadian River, those rivers were really big back then, still are. The Arkansas River is really big. This lady named Gloria Farley here first saw it in the early 1900s with family friends while they were hiking. And they always called it Indian Rock. They just figured Native Americans carved it. Um, it wasn't until later in her life that she realized these were actually uh, Scandinavian runes. Wow, and yeah, and this is likely, some people think it's a grave marker. Some people uh, think that it's actually just a territory marker. It's been translated as Gloam's Valley. Um, and so, you know, this one, there was an actual professor named Dr. Uh, Henrik Williams from Uppsala University in Sweden. And he's investigated all the American runes, and he thinks all of them are fake, except for... On this one, he says the jury's out. He just <clears throat> couldn't imagine anyone back in the 1800s, really even the 1900s, knowing this form of runic language. Runic language, just like the English language, evolves over time. This would have been from like the 13th century, maybe <clears throat> the 11th, between the 11th. So that's the height of the Viking kind of conquest and everything too. Right, right. And so and, yeah, we know the Vikings that were very skilled uh, with their boats, and they would travel all the way to kind of contents Constantinople, they get on the Volga and go down to the Black Sea and actually reinforce Constantinople and yeah, all kinds of bringing things. So it's not out of the realm of possibility if they really were dedicated. Yeah, there's there's runes in Egypt, right? Or is it maybe it's maybe it's down in Turkey? You were talking about Constantinople. Maybe it's down somewhere in the Middle East. They've they found runes, and you know, even archaeologists say, Oh, yeah, these are authentic, they made it all the way there. Why not Americans? Did so the one that's in New Mexico that didn't look like Hebrew. Was it some form of Hebrew or was it was what my the stories are old Hebrew, Phoenician, and Greek. Interesting. Which are all and even like uh there's even one translation that includes a little bit of like whatever was the language or the written script in Russia at the time. Um so I don't know on this one. I don't know on that one. Um, I just know those are the three I've heard Old Hebrew, Phoenician, and Greek, like kind of a mixture of them almost. But that was done in the 15th, 16th century. There's actually kind of an interesting story in uh, New Mexico because you talk about people fleeing there, but it became a repository of the old Spanish that came from the New World. That sounds like in, in the modern Spanish, it sounds like what we would think Elizabethan English was. Oh, interesting. And they still speak it. So in this whole thing, this old rancher families, the real Spanish. Yeah. And it was the Spanish Empire. They speak this thing that would be the equivalent of like 
thus saith Joeth, Tooth, Goeth, you know, this kind of thing. People, when they when Spaniards heard it, they thought they were joking, like they were talking in some kind of ancient Spanish, but that's just a remnant of the language that they had at that time. So maybe they wrote something on this. That's incredible. They they were also what's what was the what's the like um the the San Luis Valley uh and New Mexico, southern Colorado, there's so much incredible history there. Chimayo, New Mexico, the Spanish history in that area is just amazing. But what was the like branch off the Catholic Church that was into like self flag like like they would do self punishment? Uh the pin starts with a P. Jesuits, I don't know. Uh, but um they're still there. They're oh still, wow! So there's like a oh, yeah, there's still remnants. Yeah, there's still, still the old Spanish remnants. Yeah, that's fascinating. They do if I find that documentary, if I find it's a National Geographic documentary. If I find it, I'll send it to you. I think you find I'm, it really interesting. The group I'm talking about still does like simulations of like the crucifixion, where they do a self crucifixion, where they're carrying a cross and um, uh, I can't uh, maybe the Pentatonites. I can't remember exactly. But anyways, that that area is preserved in time. There's many, so many villages that really haven't changed much in the last couple hundred years out there, other than electricity and maybe some uh, modifications to some buildings. Gotcha. Um, right. So I mean, there's a lot. Like we barely scratched the surface. We're about forty minutes. I mean, there's a lot more. So people can actually watch your videos and the book at the stand, uh, kind of follow along with the videos, right? Yeah, for sure. Just follow along. I'm, I post all kinds of stuff. Sometimes I'll focus on episodes that are very specific, like Viking runestones in Oklahoma and Minnesota. Sometimes I'll post an episode of me just hiking out in the desert to some petroglyphs, just the raw footage of it. Um, it's just for fun for me. And, um, you know, I try not to take this too seriously uh, because I'm just having fun. And I really like to, it's a way to use a creative outlet while I travel. Um, All right, that's cool. Yeah, you can see there's a lot, there's a lot more history. Even that thing that you showed, like I passed through Barstow to Vegas before so many times. I've driven right by that place you mentioned, and you know, I've now it makes me want to stop there. So people check need to check out your book. The place that I was talking to you about that you might find interesting is called Non Madol and or Nan Madol. It's like this weird thing. It's like built. This is uh where is that? It's like in Papua New Guinea in something, but it's like, oh. it's a temple complex. It's really crazy. Oh. You got to see pictures of like those people. little square islands. Yeah, like it's somebody. There was a whole civilization here. They found like like they just recently found it. Is my understanding. It's called N A N M A D O L. But all right, it just shows like there's so much. The real history is much different. But yeah. uh, where can people find enig- enigmatic North America? You can find it on Amazon. If you just type in Enigmatic North America, that'll probably help. Uh, that'll probably pull it up. But then you can add legends, oddities, and controversial history. And you're going to see two different listings on there. There's an ebook listing and there's a paperback listing. Um, the paperback, you know, is 10 by, or sorry, 8 by 5 by 8 by 5. You can hold it. It's a coffee t- a table style book. It's my first book ever. Um, yeah, and you're I, holding it right here for people on YouTube or Rockfin. You can see him holding it. So, yeah, wow, great visuals. Yeah, and that's out at Chimney Rock, Colorado. That's actually my favorite chapter that I feel like gets overlooked a little bit. But, um, uh, yeah, so it's on Amazon. And then I myself am on Facebook. I post these little one minute videos on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, Twitter. All my 
tags are at Incred History when I do that. So at Incred History and I'm incrediblehistory.com. I just have links to my little Amazon and links to this YouTube. I haven't really done anything with the website yet. So gotcha. well, great book, really interesting. Thanks for sharing. Yeah. And people can reach out to you on social media too. So I'll put those links to your social media on that again. But again, great book. Title is Enigmatic North America, Legends, Oddities, and Controversial History with author William Brown. Thanks so much for your time. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, see you there.